every day in history is actually dated in relationship to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every atheist who writes a date down, Jesus Christ is the reference point to it. In fact, when you and I write checks and put our dates, which we don't do much of that anymore, do we? <laughs> I mean, it's all electronic now. But anytime you write a date down, the reference point is the resurrection. And the resurrection did a number of different things. It split history into two parts, A.D. and B.C. But it also proved that Jesus was who he claimed to be, God. Jesus said, to prove to you that I am who I say I am, I'm going to allow myself to be killed. And three days later, I'll be back. And so he proved who he was. But Jesus also proved by the resurrection that we can be people of hope when we face impossible situations. The Bible talks about three types of hope. Wishful hope, expectant hope, and then certain hope. Certain hope is when you and I stop listening to our feelings and we start listening to the word of God, praying over the promises of God, falling on the character of God. And when Jesus resurrected from the grave, he proved that you and I can be people of hope regardless of what we may be facing in life. Take a look at 1 Peter chapter 3 or chapter 1 verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Now we hope for the blessings God has for his children. Jesus' resurrection made us people of hope. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, what he did is he proved or provided a way that you and I can face impossible situations. He is the model. And he demonstrated that model, folks, in the last, so to speak, three days of Easter. Take a look at this verse in 1 Peter 2, 21. God has called you to endure suffering because Christ suffered for you. He also left you an example so that you could follow in his footsteps. Jesus modeled for you and I what we should do in the worst days of our life. When you're going through some tragedy, when you're in some kind of intense pain, when you're going through days of doubt and despair and discouragement, when you are feeling hopeless. Let me explain this. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection happened over three days. Friday is the day of helplessness. When the world went out of control and there was all kinds of hurt. Saturday is the day of hopelessness. The day of darkness, the day of loneliness, the day of despair and grief. Sunday is the day of hope. That's why we're here. It is the day of hope, the day of beauty, the day of celebration, the day of victory. Now here's the thing. In your life, you're going to go through those three days over and over and over again. In fact, some of you right now are in the Fridays of life. Your world is out of control and there's all kinds of hurt going on in your life. Some of you are going through the Saturdays of life. There's loss, there's grief, there's hopelessness. It's an impossible situation. But you can get 
to the Sunday of life, to the days of hope and celebration. And the reality is all of us go through these three days again and again and again. And when you go through these days, the days of helplessness, of hopelessness, in order to get to hopefulness, you ask yourself three fundamental questions. What do I do when I am feeling helpless and life is out of control and I am feeling hurt all across the board? How do I get through the days of hopelessness where I'm feeling alone and I'm grieving and I'm in despair so that I can get to hope and how do I experience it? Now, I hate to tell you this, but you're gonna need this message. If you're not in one now, you will be in one. And so take some good notes. The Easter story teaches us what Jesus did in the worst days of his life, and it can teach us what we can do when we are feeling helpless and hopeless. So let's look at these three days as a model for how God wants us to get to hope. Friday, the day of helplessness. The world is spinning out of control and there is all kinds of hurt. And Jesus experienced hurt in, it, in the ultimate way. And let me explain this. He, he experienced ultimate pain physically. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was wounded. He was spit upon. He was stabbed. His beard was plucked out. A crown of thorns was put in his head. He was scourged or whipped. 39 times with the cat of nine tails. He went without sleep for over 24 hours. Do you know how you feel when you haven't had sleep for 24 hours? I know how you feel. You look it. You don't look good either, okay? He went without food, without water, and then he was put to death by crucifixion, which was death by suffocation. And I don't have time to explain that. He experienced the ultimate in physical pain. He experienced the ultimate in emotional and psychological pain. Death on the cross was death by humiliation. They stripped him naked. And people watched him die in that state. It was death by degradation, death by shame. He experienced the ultimate in relational pain. He was betrayed by a close friend and the nation that he was sent to. He experienced the ultimate in, the, uh, in relational rejection. But there's something even greater that he experienced. He experienced the ultimate in spiritual pain. When Jesus died on the cross, he took all the sins of the world, past, present, and future, on himself. All the murders, all the rapes, all the child molestations, all the genocide, all, all the evil on the world came on him in one moment and he felt the guilt of all the sins of the world, all the evil in the world, past, present, and future at that one time. Now you and I know how we feel, do we not? When we feel guilty over just one thing, it eats our lunch. Can you imagine the guilt that he was experiencing at that time. He went through the hell of separation momentarily when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Folks, we've never experienced that before. We have never experienced the ultimate in physical, emotional, mental, sexual, relational pain all at once like Jesus did. And so I think we can say without a shadow of a doubt that he understands our helplessness when we're in the days of Friday. Take a look at Hebrews 2.18. Since Jesus went through suffering and temptation, he knows what it is like when we suffer and are tempted, and he is able to help us. Folks, he knows the pattern and the pathway, and he has the power to get you through your Fridays, to get you to Sunday. Question is how? How did Jesus model that for us? Well, these two things are probably going to shock you. First of all, Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, first turned to humanity. He didn't turn to God first. He turned to humanity. On the night that he was betrayed, knowing that he was going to be arrested and tortured and executed, the last thing that he did on planet Earth was he turned to his buddies and says, hey guys, will you hang with me? And he goes to his favorite prayer spot, the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane, and it is an olive garden, not the restaurant, a garden. And he shares his deepest need with these guys, his deepest hurt. Take a look at Matthew 26, 36 through 39. And Jesus took his disciples with him to Gethsemane and said, stay here with me while I pray. Then he took Peter and James and John a little further. He was filled with anguish and deep distress. And he said to them, my heart is so overwhelmed and crushed with sorrow that I feel like I'm dying. Just sit here and watch with me. Then Jesus took a few more steps and fell to the ground and prayed. In those few verses, there's a couple of startling things, and one I've brought to your attention, which is that the Son of Man needed human friends in the midst of his pain. And he did what most people don't do when they're going through a situation where they're hurting. You see, most people, what they do when they're in pain is they isolate themselves. I say this, when you are hurting, I don't care, physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, across the board, whatever you do, don't isolate yourself. Jesus is modeling, that's not, that's not the smart thing to do. Jesus comes. And the second thing that's startling as he comes to his, his, his gang of 12 is how open, how honest, how gut level honest he is. He doesn't suck it up at this time. I mean, I, would, I can imagine if they, his disciples said, hey, Jesus, how's it going? I mean, you seem a little stressed or whatever. I mean, he was sweating blood. I don't think he would have, he wouldn't have said, you know, I'm, I'm just sucking it up. I can do this, okay? Uh, back off, okay? Uh, I'm a man. Folks, that isn't what he modeled for us. He modeled gut level honesty to help us understand that he doesn't want us to repress our pain. That he doesn't want us to suppress our pain, but rather he wants us to express our pain. Eli Wiesel, pretty well-named guy, was a, a Nazi concentration survivor. 
a Nobel Prize winner, a recipient of the President's Medal of Honor. This guy was asked, what did you do in your darkest hour? And because he was intelligent, he answered in two words. And you're thinking right now, I wish Pastor George was more intelligent, okay? But he said this, friends and God. That was it. The very two things that Jesus did. And so the first thing that you do when you're experiencing a situation that is out of control and that you're being hurt is that you reach out to friends. This is the value of being in a biblical community. Honestly, if you're not in a biblical community where you're known, where you can get with the pastor, knee to knee, face to face when something comes up, I worry about you, honestly. But friends can't be there all the time. God can be. Friends don't, can't understand the depth of pain that you're going through, but God can. Friends get tired, but God never gets tired. Jesus' friends fell asleep, but God neither sleeps or slumbers. And so the second thing that Jesus did is this, is that he reached out to God. How do you do that? Through prayer. You see, hope, certain hope, is when you and I stop listening to our feelings and we start listening to the word of God, praying, praying over the promises of God. The second thing that Jesus did on this Friday, this day of helplessness, is that he prayed. Take a look at Mark 14. And Jesus fell face down on the ground and he prayed that if possible, he could not have to suffer the pain ahead of him. He prayed, Abba, Father, I know you can do all things and I don't want to have to drink this cup of suffering. Nevertheless, I want your will, not mine, to be done. He prays. Because prayer, folks, it raises your hope quotient in life. And he comes to the Father, and to be honest with you, he comes to him in a very simple language. He starts out that prayer saying, Abba, Father. In the Aramaic, that just means Daddy or Papa. He doesn't come to him when he's in pain with this flowery words. Oh, most high, reverend, holy Father, omniscient, omnipotent God. He comes to him. He says, Dad, I'm hurting. Help. Now I want you to listen to this prayer. Because he prays three things. And when your heart is breaking and you're feeling helpless and your world is out of control, you need to pray these three things. First, you need to affirm God's word by praying, God, I know you can do anything. Then you need to express your desire. God, I don't like this. I don't want to go through this. And it's okay to say that to God because God can handle your complaints. And then thirdly, you offer trust. I want your will to be done. God, I know you know what's going on. I, I know you care and I know you love me. When you are going through a time of helplessness, I would encourage you to pray what I call the garden prayer right here. 
It will raise your hope. Because hope comes when you and I stop listening to our feelings and we start praying, start listening to the word of God, praying over the promises of God. And you and I sitting here right now know if we would just re reflect of the promises that God has already fulfilled in your life. You take that little card because we're going to worship God at the very end. Write it down. Now as Jesus finishes praying, the soldiers show up and they arrest him. And he goes through six trials. Three religious trials and three civil trials. Three Jewish trials. One before the high priest Annas. Next one through the high priest Caiaphas. And then the last one was the Sanhedrin, which was the supreme religious supreme court of Israel. Then he went through three civil trials or three Roman trials. Uh, Pilate, Herod, and then back to Pilate again. And they illegally convicted him to death. And they nailed him to a cross. He dies and he's buried. So we come to the second day. The Saturday of life. The time where things get dark. Where we grieve. Where we lost. Where we look and say, it's impossible. It's done. Can you imagine how the disciples must have felt on that day when they're seeing their Messiah being crucified? Surely they're going, what in the world is going on here? I mean, we have seen Jesus I mean, give sight to the blind. We've seen him walk on water. We've seen him uh, raise people from the dead. Surely he could do something right now and come off that cross. But he didn't. He stayed on the cross. And it wasn't because of the nails. It was because of his love for you and I. Because he was wanting to help you and I to see that we can be people of hope. In fact, the Bible says it's for this reason I have come into the world. Now, I understand something about Jesus' death. He was no martyr. Martyrs do not willingly kill themselves or allow themselves to be killed. Generally, they don't want that to happen. But Jesus willingly sacrificed himself. In fact, he said, no man takes my life away from me. Not at all. I lay it down. And because I lay it down, guess what? I can take it back anytime I want. Jesus wasn't a martyr. But imagine the confusion, the grief, the profound loss, the doubt, the hopelessness that these disciples were feeling. Imagine their mental and emotional state. I'm going to teach on that next Sunday. It's going to be groundbreaking for LifePoint Church as we take on help to the last taboo in our society. And that is mental illness, mental challenges, mental issues that we have. Because we've all got them. And these disciples are wrestling mentally and emotionally. My guess is they feel regret. And that's eating them alive. Maybe we could have prevented this. I'm sure they were feeling self-recrimination. You know, when we, we went AWOL. We left him. We abandoned him. No doubt they felt fear, right? Hey, they got Jesus. Maybe we're next in line. They felt confusion. 
What in the world are we going to do now? We've built our life around this guy for three years. You see, when you're in the Saturday of life, let me tell you where you're at. You're in limbo. And you know what that's like, don't you? You've been in situations like that. You took what you thought was going to be a better job, and then two months into it, that division closed down, and you lost your job. What do I do now? Or you got transferred here. And then after you got transferred and moved your family, the, the company went bankrupt. And you're in a kind of an isolated place. What do I do now? Or you came home hoping to greet your wife and your family, and they left, and they're not returning. And your marriage went down the toilet. And you think, what do I do now? Folks, literally there are thousands of ways that you go through the Saturdays of life where you're confused and it's dark and you're alone and you feel hopeless. Now in this story though that Jesus warns his gang of 12 what's going to happen. In Matthew 26, 31 it says this, then Jesus told them before the night's over you're going to fall to pieces because of what happens to me. And sure enough, it did. Take a look at verse 56. At that point, all the disciples abandoned Jesus and ran away. Every single one of them. Let me ask you a pointed question. Have you ever abandoned God because of the situation that you've been through? Have you ever prayed a prayer and God didn't answer your prayer? And so you left the church and you left God. Or you prayed the prayer and it wasn't answered the way you wanted it to be answered. And so you lost your faith. Or there was that uncontrollable situation. And instead of it pushing you closer to God, it, it, you just chose to withdraw further from God. Can I just say this? It's time to come home. It's time to come back. And let me explain why through this illustration. My kids have never doubted that I'm their father. I'm it. They all look like me, right down to the last thing. Cheryl didn't have anything to do. It's just all me. Okay. And they've never doubted my love. But they have many times doubted my wisdom. Does dad really know what's going on? I mean, he dresses weird in those Hawaiian shirts, okay? He doesn't realize they're out of style. They just don't realize it's coming back around, okay? Is he really right? Maybe he's making a mistake. Folks, they have never doubted my existence nor my love for them, but they have doubted my wisdom. Can I say this? When you're in the Fridays and Saturdays of life, when you're feeling helpless and hopeless, it's okay to question God. David did it all the time. Just read the book of Psalms. You see, it's okay in the days of chaos to know that God is there, but to doubt his wisdom. So how do you get through the Saturdays of life? Will you write this down? You need to remember the promises of God. Remember what certain hope is. It is when you and I stop listening to our feelings and we start listening to the word of God. 
praying over the promises of God. And God has fulfilled so many promises in your life. The problem and challenge is, is we forget about them. And yet if we could remember the promises that God has fulfilled, our hope quotient would go like this. You see, when you're in the Saturdays of life, it's hard to put one foot in front of another because it's dark. And all the plans that you've had, they're going down the toilet. So I say this, never doubt in the dark what God has shown you in the light, in the way of his promises. And Jesus gives his disciples a promise. They just forgot about it. Take a look at this, John 16. Jesus said this to his disciples. Here's what's going to happen. He's telling them in advance. Soon I'll be gone and you'll be without me. But after a while, you'll see me again. He's talking about his resurrection. He's saying, hey, I'm going to come back to life. You will weep and you will mourn and you will grieve. But your grief will eventually turn into joy. Then he says this. It will be like a woman going through labor pains. When her child is finally born, her anguish, that is her labor pains, turns to joy. Because the new life wipes out the memory of the pain. That's why we oftentimes forget, hey, it's happened, it's over with, I'm moving down the road, we've forgotten. And he's telling them this. In the same way, you'll go through sorrow now, but I'll be back. He said that 2,000 years before Arnold did, okay? And you will rejoice, and no one will be able to rob you of that joy. Folks, he's giving them a promise. And he's telling them, I'll be back. And when I come back, you guys are going to be fearless. Because you're going to understand that I can handle A through Z. That I can handle anything from birth through death and even beyond death. Now honestly, I don't know what you're struggling with. That impossible situation where you're feeling helpless and hopeless. But what I do know is that you need to be promised people. And there are over 7,000 promises in God's word. And if you don't know them, you can't claim them. And if you can't claim them, they do you no good. And your worry quotient, instead of your hope quotient going up, your worry quotient goes out the roof. Now why is that the case? Because promises are like insurance policies. When you have a car and it's covered bumper to bumper, okay? 100,000 miles. And something goes wrong with it or it gets in a wreck. Do you worry about it? No, why? Because you've got insurance. Promises are like insurance policies. And they get you through the Fridays and Saturdays of life so that you don't have to worry in the dark what God has shown you in the light. Which raises a question. What is God, what do you know about God in the light? You see, hope comes when we stop listening to our feelings and we start listening to the word of God, praying over the promises of God, falling on the character of God. What is it that we know in the light about God's character? Well, folks, we know a lot of things about God. In the light about his character. We know that he sees everything. We know that he knows everything. We know that he grieves. We know that he, he, he weeps. We know that he loves us unconditionally. We know that he can bring good out of bad. 
Anybody can bring good out of good, but God specializes in bringing good out of bad. And so when you know what God is like in the light and you know the promises of God, you don't worry. Now let me, let me get personal with you for one minute. Some of you have had a wreck. Maybe it's a relational wreck. Maybe it's a vocational wreck. Maybe it's a family or marriage wreck. It is a personal wreck that you have gone through. And it looks like as a result of that wreck, everything that you have put into it is turning to ashes. If that is how you feel, let me share two promises with you. You can take them for your own. Isaiah 61. To all who mourn in Zion, I will give beauty for ashes, joy instead of mourning, and praise instead of despair. That thing that is gone, it's impossible, it's over with, I'm hopeless. God says, I'll take the ashes of what's been burnt up, and I will bring beauty out of it. Take a look at Isaiah 43. When you go through deep waters in great trouble, I will be with you. Will you circle that phrase and write the word presence? When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. Will you circle that? You will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Circle, you will not be burned up. And draw a line between will be with you and will not be burned up. And write the word power. For I am the Lord, and will you circle this word, your God and Savior. You see, what you and I need when we are in Fridays or Saturdays, in the days of helplessness and hopelessness, is that we need a personal Savior. The only way that you're going to resurrect yourself from that situation isn't through you. It comes as a result of a personal Savior. You need a personal Savior. And so I say when you're facing those helpless and hopeless situations, personally put your trust in Jesus. I want you to listen to Guy's story. How he came to Christ and how Christ was with him through some really tragic things that even followed afterwards. Listen to this. My name is Guy. This is my story. After my first divorce, I uh, started focusing on myself. Put all my, all my power and energy into my job. I became very successful. Made a lot of money, accumulated a lot of stuff, which afforded me the opportunity to do a lot of things. Get a lot of favor from people, including ladies, and realized that that was what I wanted. I didn't have to have the headaches of the relationship. During my second marriage, life was tough, but we were making progress, and we started working on things, and we seemed to, to get a little, little breakthrough. Then, out of the blue, 9-11 hit. The stock market crashed, and all the progress we had made seemed like it evaporated. We didn't have the comfort of nothing, and we didn't know each other. We didn't even know how to live with the struggles, and... Eventually, we lost everything, house, cars, everything. Eventually, I lost my marriage. 
during the storm of dispelled marriage, the one thing I found was Jesus. Ten years later, life threw me a curveball. I lost my job and my health at the same time. I had a head injury at the gym, which put me in the hospital for eight days and basically had isolated confinement for three months. After this period of time, I was unable to work for almost two years, basically about a year and a half. How was I gonna pay my bills? How was I gonna survive, support my family? How was I gonna put food on, on the table? The company that I had started three years earlier was suffering during this time. The reason for this was I was the rainmaker. I was the one that knew the market. I was the one that knew how to construct the deals. My partner was just the operation manager. Not only was my company suffering, but my son was suffering. My son was watching me and he had this puzzled look. He saw a feeble man that was once strong and bulletproof. And he wondered, Dad, am I ever gonna get you back? And to this day, he asked, how are you doing? with the question mark, when before he never did. Now he thinks he has to take care of me, when before he always knew I could take care of him. My partner gave up some of his salary to help me out. Brothers and sisters in Christ came and helped. My church, LifePoint, constantly helped from start to finish. God's love showed up during this time I'm blessed. In fact, I'm very blessed. Another thing that God has taught me, how vulnerable I am, how vulnerable my identity is. As a man, we oftentimes think that our worth is in what we do and how much we make and how we look. And God has shown me that my worth is not in any of those things. My identity is in Christ and he loves me as I am no matter what I do or what I make. Life happens, people disappoint me, situations arise that create hardship, and I disappoint others as well as myself. During all of these times, Jesus' presence gives me peace. That peace brings about the joy of his faithfulness. His faithfulness gives me contentment, the contentment that allows me to endure these situations knowing that he's in control of my life and he has a purpose for everything that goes on in my life. As I show others the love of Christ, I'm building God's kingdom. As I'm building God's kingdom, I have a peace about me that feeds into my faith and gives me hope for the next day, the hope that comes from Christ because I know that he's in control of my life. catch guy's story friends faith God's word prayer you see Jesus has modeled this for us so that when we face those impossible situations and I know guy's story well that God will get you through it to Sunday 
So on Sunday, two women come to the tomb. The sun is rising, but the sun is already risen. He shows himself to these two women. He shows himself to the disciples and a whole lot of other people over the next 40 days. He walked with them. He talked with them. He sat down and ate with them. And when the disciples saw Jesus, they said, game changer, we're not afraid anymore. You may take our life, but guess what? We're going to come back just like Jesus. And these disciples went out into the world, and they started sharing the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there is power in Jesus' name. And in 300 years, the Roman Empire became a Christian empire. Why? Because of the hope of the resurrection. And so on Sunday, that's the day of hope. How do you get to Sundays? How do you get through the Fridays and the Saturdays in order to get to Sundays? Will you write this down? You rely on the power of Jesus. Folks, you can't get there on your own. Self-effort is not enough. When you're in chronic pain, when you're in a chronic state of conflict, you can't resurrect yourself. You need God. And so how do you and I get Christ into our life so that we can experience the power of God for everyday living, Fridays and Saturdays of life? Well, it happens as you and I reach out for the presence of Jesus and we bring him our helplessness. We bring him our brokenness, our broken minds, our broken emotions, our broken relationships, our broken marriages, our broken finances, our broken careers. And then we remember, we remember the promises of God. We remember that he will turn ashes into beauty, that he'll turn our despair into joy, that he'll turn our gloom into hope that he is close to the brokenhearted. And then you look at an empty cross and you look at an empty tomb and then you rely on the power of Jesus Christ. Folks, we are resurrected or resurrection people. We are people of hope as you and I do those three things, as we reach out to the presence of Jesus and we bring him our helplessness and we remember the promises of God that he will turn our beauty into ashes and we rely on the power of Christ. If you will do that, you will always have eternal hope in you. I don't know where you're at in your journey and what you're struggling with. I just know this, we live in the South. And there's a church on every corner. And people know a lot about Christ up here, but they've never dropped him here. They've never really prayed the prayer that Paul mentions in Romans 10, 10. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. You will be set free. I'm gonna give you a moment to do that. And after I pray, we're gonna sing a song, take the offering, sing a song, and we're gonna bring our offerings to the altar and say, thank you, God, for your goodness. Let's pray. Like I said, I don't know where you're at spiritually, but today could be your day of salvation, your day of eternal hope to get you through the Friday and Saturdays of life. But you've got to reach out to Jesus. And will you do that right now? Will you just say in your heart, Jesus, I'm reaching out to you. I'm bringing you my helplessness, my brokenness. God, thank you for the promise of the resurrection. That you came, you lived, you died, and you resurrected. And right now, I want to drop you from my head to my heart. And I want to have eternal hope within me that I can experience the Sundays of life with you. And if you prayed that prayer, however you prayed it, really doesn't matter as long as you meant it. Will you let me know? In that packet, there was a little card. Put your name, email address. Check the appropriate box. When I get them, first part of the week, I'll email you some stuff that'll help you with your journey. God, I thank you. Thank you that today we celebrate the resurrection that we, of all people in the world, are the most hopeful people. God, help us to live it for your glory and for our good. In your son's name we pray, amen.